This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Ebema. And I'm Joe Newton. Our guest today is Sharondalyn Dupree, who is an author, a poet, and a hospice chaplain. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, could you give our listeners maybe a proper introduction of who you are and what you do? I like to think of myself as a creative soul, and I believe that uh, there's creativity in in each of us. And um, one of my forces of creativity I love to draw to um, is poetry and writing. And I believe it's a great form of. healing, um, release, and also it can be a great form of self-care also. I love to share poetry during my visits um, also um, with patients, but also just love to connect to life um, with poetry. And I wrote this little one actually um, this morning and um, it just says, who am I? Mm. Who am I? I am the daughter of Margaret and Glover Lou and Sylvia and Jane. I am a woman, a sister, an auntie. I have a bachelor's in education, a master's, a specialist, a master of divinity, an MA in theological studies. I am more than five degrees. I am human with emotions, flaws, dreams, hopes, and ambitions, with the power to travel between light and darkness, drawing upon light to pull me back every time. A sojourner traveling the stony roads to tell my story, to live my story, yet to avail myself to listen, to just listen to others on purpose. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) That is powerful. And you do that, do you do that you say you do that with your patients? I do. I do. I love um, just sitting with them, um, reading, and sometimes I'll um, create poems, even for staff, just write off, you know, give me a couple words and, you know, create a poem from it. Um, but I believe poetry and just reading can provide a therapeutic presence, Absolutely. a calming presence, um, and patience. And, um mm-hmm. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in a little small town in Georgia called Dublin, Dublin, Georgia. And it's in a very country, I would say, rural area. And so in that, I grew up with my grandparents, my parents. And so I had all of my central family around me um, there in, in Georgia, middle Georgia, small little town. So did you have any kind of a spiritual background as a child? You know, my grandparents were very influential 
in my spiritual upbringing. My grandfather served as a deacon at his church for over 70 plus years. Mm. And so you can imagine that going to church um, with my grandparents Sunday after Sunday um, and just watching their influence really and just their faithfulness to the church and to service had a great influence upon me. And, you know, just, just watching them, I would say they instilled in us that just a discipline and a dedication to one another um, during my childhood experience. So they were pretty, uh, your grandparents are significant in your upbringing, your spiritual upbringing, your life then, what you're saying. Yes, very instrumental, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, we even have, I like to say, we, we have a cemetery um, that goes back hundreds, you know, of years. You know, those old churches in middle Georgia um, in just the South period, they go back, date back to, you know, post-slavery, I would say. And so having, you know, such rich history there, you know, um, researching and looking at the ancestors and being able to trace back. I remember walking with my grandmother and she's in her 90s. So I tell you, that's how far back the church goes in the cemetery. Mm. Um, so her mother is buried in the cemetery. and you know, um, and then her mother. So all of those relatives going back, there's a rich and deep rooted history there. And just being able to see that um, and to be able to trace those places and those roots of, okay, wow, this this is not just the cemetery, but it's history and is the roots of, of my family. So it's a very beautiful experience. I just am amazed and in awe of the the history that you just talked about of your family there just in 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 a part of the south that has caused such issues in the past, currently even uh how has that at all influenced your ministry your uh, I know part of your background is education so I mean how does this all influence you I believe that you know these things just you know, they're in the core and the fiber of my um, being. And I think through that lens of injustice has created a place of, of justice. And I think that place of justice parallels to my work today. Um, within that place of justice is a place of, of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also speaks to the work of chaplaincy. Um, how how well. so? How so do you see that work out in your chaplaincy? Um, it, with the end, exploring, you know, working with patients, um, families that are going towards that close of life, um, but also experiencing the freedoms that come with what is justice um, beyond. Um, what can feel like an entrapment, what can feel like, okay, my body is starting to shut down Mm -hmm. my, my, um, my connection, my, um, my hopes, my dreams, my, what was being trapped in that place or what seems like a trap 
can feel like a place of of injustice in a sense. Mm-hmm. It can feel like a place of hopelessness. You know, we think about the experiences, um, and I'll go back to the experiences of of looking at um, going back to slavery, the South, um, all of those things. But looking at those places and um, feeling trapped, right? Feeling hopeless. Like, how do I move from this? Mm. How do I go from this place of of um, of hopelessness and and doubt and what doesn't seem like a place that I can navigate out of. How do I navigate out of this? Yeah. Um, to the now, you know, to be, to exist, to be in the present and in the now. And I think that kind of parallels with that, that place of um, being, not seeing hospice as being in, but hospice as like the now. How can I be present with that? And I believe those two actually parallel. I think there's a point in the terminal Mm -hmm. illness or grief can feel like entrapment. And it may look like there's no way out of this entrapment. Uh, But then you come in as a healer, as a chaplain, and walk alongside these people and help them find different possibilities of looking at this same situation, which is meaning-making helping them find meaning in this entrapment and in the process find freedom. And so with that, I remember that I had a request from a um, person, um, a man um, that was an atheist. And, And so he wanted to connect with the chaplain. And so I walked into his room and just sat and held that space and was present with him during his illness and his time of um, which he couldn't use his hand. And so he was going through that place of grief of not being able to use his hands. And he was a musician. And so using his hands was important, you know, and playing and lifting and bringing life to others through his music. So I sat with him, listened and went to that core of that experience and his grief. And what is it? You know, what what exactly are those emotions that are being felt during that time? And I think the power of that connection, of listening to his story, of hearing his emotions and how grief had set in, but how he felt like, you know, he was trapped and no longer able to do those things. And that, and we think about music, music provides liberty and freedom and justice for a lot of people. So he wasn't able to go to that place of being able to provide that. And so I connected with him through his lyrics, through the words and his music. What did those words mean for him? Um, But also, where was he now? And using that as a catalyst to explore meaning and hope, he was able to find hope with that, with those lyrics and with that music, though he was not able to perform and play as he had before physically, but mentally and, and, and through his human spirit connection, he was able to unfold those lyrics um, to a whole nother dimension. And so I think that's one of the beauties of chaplaincy is going deep and being able to explore um, those dry places and bring them, you know, make them alive again um, so that others can find hope. 
Uh, with that, we'll take a little break. Our guest is Sharonda Lynn Dupree. We'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Bam, and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Sharonda Lynn Dupree. Uh, could you tell us, uh, you made a big transition from teaching to chaplaincy. Uh, I mean, cha- there's, there's still an element of teaching in chaplaincy. But uh, what happened to lead to that transition? I served as an educator from age 21 through mm. 36. Mm. And I like to say that I, in my faith, I believe that my steps are ordered, you know, just divinely guided. And I knew that my passion for education, that was the season, that was the calling um, during my life to education, through to being a teacher, through educating our youth. I served as a, a math teacher, science teacher, um, a teacher of reading, but also educated educators. Hmm. And so that's what I did from age 21 through 36. And somewhere around 36, I just believe I was at a crossroads and CPE, those letters just kind of <laughs> surfaced mm-hmm. <laughs> just in my spirit and clinical pastoral education. It wasn't like it was just so much talked about, um, you know, uh, at the time that, and again, I could have been so just, um, and, you know, entrenched into that field of education that I wasn't necessarily taking time out to research in here. But CPE just rang. And I said, well, let me look this up. I need to do something with my chaplaincy studies. Mm. And so I decided to take those off the shelf. Um, and it was one of those sudden, just like epiphanies and moments of, okay, this there's something with it. So let me research it. And so opportunities came open for me that were for CPE. And most of those opportunities were on the West Coast. Um, there were some up North, um, Midwest, but the applications, once I put those in, um, opened up for a couple of locations out in California. And so I'm here today in California. Um, after having attended my residency, um, and I'll at the uh, Bay Area Center for CPE, and so chaplaincy, it just rang in my spirit, and I did my research, and I was at a crossroads of life. Okay, do I want to continue in education? I could continue in education, can keep this journey going, uh, or I could expand. And so I felt I wanted to expand go outward, branch outward. Um, And so I did just that. Um, Facing the unknown, I would like to say. And I think there's power in that unknown. I had no idea what I'd be getting myself into with CPE, um, clinical pastoral education. But 
I did. It was just like a leap of faith. You know, I had contracts on the table in education, like, okay, you could continue, you know, you could go back to higher ed again, you could go um, this way or that way. But I was just at that place where I just wanted to leave everything and head west to the unknown. And I, I consulted with my parents and they knew, you know what? Okay, go ahead. We know you. We know how you you are. It's okay. You have our blessing. Just go. <laughs> so uh, one question, though. Crossroads don't just happen. Um, where you leave everything and head west. Uh, what what led to the crossroad? I think what led to that crossroads, um, I would just say, um, some frustrations I would say led to that crossroads. Yeah, and I, if I can be honest, um, the frustrations of um, working in the uh, in the field of education, but feeling, okay, I had kind of hit just the wall, you know, wanting, wanting more. I think the place of wanting more in education and in, in, in the, in the movement for education in the South. Um, and not that I could just be this one woman movement to just change things overnight and make them happen. Mm. But I think I came to that place of, um, there, there has to be something more. And I felt as if that growth, um, that um, place, it kind of just hit like a, a stall. Like there has to be more. I, want, I would like to see more in the field for our teachers, more for uh, the students. But I just felt like I was kind of like at a place of just a wall. And I believe mm. at that wall is where or in that place or in that tunnel, that light entered. <laughs> that light for me was just, it's time for something different. It's time for something new. And I think that can be a scary place mm. of not knowing, you know, why? Why am I kind of leaning towards this? Why am I, I'm not giving up the field of education. It, it will forever be a passion and it still is. And um, I operate in that today. Um, but I knew, um, I had a hunch I had an idea mm. of there's something else. And I, I like to say there's power in not knowing. Um, and, you know, we have hunches, ideas, passions, desires, but we don't always know all of the details and how they're going to match up. And I feel like when we get to that place, for me, it left room for the divine in me, um, the divine in my faith um, and God um, for someone else, source, creator, universe, but it left power for that divine to operate in me and ultimately through me. It was a place for me, I believe, of vulnerability. Mm. Something that our patients um, in hospice experience every day, just a place of vulnerability. But I believe it's, for me, it was when vulnerability met faith that something powerful could happen. And I believe during that place, life just began to line up for me in ways that I, I wouldn't expect. Um, and so I was giving up everything, traveling four days across the country from Georgia to, to California, you know, placing things in storage, um, giving it all up to head to this new place. I had no idea what, what I would be in, you know, go, what I was about to embark upon. 
So but, what, what tripped your trigger then? I mean, why is it hospice? And why couldn't it have been just chaplaincy in a hospital or something different? Teaching in a church mm-hmm. setting, whatever it may be. What brought it home to hospice? It, that's a good question also. I uh, My residency was completed in a hospital. Sure. And so my year-long residency was in a hospital. And But during that time, I spent a great deal of time on the acute rehab. And so I was able to cultivate, you know, longer relationships um, with patients during that time on the acute rehab. But also, I spent a lot of time on the behavioral health unit um, in small groups, working, um, facilitating small groups during the week. And I think in those places, having those longer times and longer experiences to work with some of the same um, people over and over. Again, I was able to establish that continuity of care and relationship. And in that place too, I believe I was drawn to grief, Hmm. to grief and shifts and changes. And I look at my own life as a place of shift um, a place of change, um, the grief of the unknown. I'm leaving everything. It, it, it was a little, you know, we think, oh, we just, you know, I'm just diving in, um, just going. But there were places and moments of grief, like, what have I just done? What in the <laughs> world did I just do? Um, I left that place of comfort, um, had a career, you know, education, higher ed, Working like okay, you're good. You're sal- You're 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 making decent money now. It's gone. You, you don't hmm. make money in CPE. <laughs> <laughs> so you took it. Like, you took a step of faith. <laughs> yes, I took a step. It was a huge step. It was a, a, a great leap. And I'm glad it's paying off now. So it's, it's <laughs> yes. okay. Yes. You said you you enjoyed the thought of having. Uh, the continuity of care, as you stated, about having able to build a relationship. I find mm-hmm. that exceedingly important in my hospice work and yes. to have that relationship. And sometimes that relationship can be a day. How do you deal with that, that uh, you're all of a sudden you're with the patient and the next night they die and you don't have that relationship anymore? And I won't say that it, it isn't challenging, I think, to say that uh, to detach from that experience um, it would be in a way to to not be human, right? And yep. to not um, be available to what our own emotions tell us. Right. And so in that, of course, um, is that place of grief. I grieve um, also. Um, mm-hmm. Grieve for, for the patients, the families um, in that place. But I also believe um, being um, the power of being present seems to give me strength, mm-hmm. even through those moments sure. of of grief, and just the power of connection and somehow um, being available um, to bring a glimpse of. Um, closure, greater closure into the lives and the patients of the families. I think that fuels me um, to that place of just being being able to, to be more present um, in those lives and experiences. 
I was working once with a patient and someone was shadowing me. And, um, you know, they were, um, and it was just the power, the power of listening, the power of journaling and traveling, even through what may seem strange. Oh, we don't understand where they're going, what they're talking about. They may be talking in circles. This experience may not even be real, but the power in journeying with them to that place um, provides, can provide such hope, can, can, can provide validation and affirmation um, to patients and individuals in ways that um, we just don't know. And so I was talking to this patient and, um, you know, just connecting, they were able to travel back to memories of their family and just emotions and things that provided so much meaning. You know, they were able to talk about birth order and they brought up the term birth order. You know, we learned that in clinical pastoral education, <laughs> yeah. you know, birth order, you know, um, but they brought up birth order and how, um, you know, she, this particular patient was connected to their children and, you know, just the joys and that connection of, okay, this particular child was like this. This one was like, you know, that, you know, this one was humorous. This one was serious. And going to those places, um, even when it seems like they're places and points of confusion, but I find like being patient, what am I doing here? I'm journeying. I'm listening. I'm being present, but I'm also actively listening, even if it seems far-fetched, even if it, if it doesn't seem like it has any meaning going to those places, provide something, a, mm-hmm. a glimpse of hope, you know, for the patient. And she said, you know, she was very grateful. You know, she expressed gratitude um, and just being there with her and listening. And the confirmation for me was when I talked to her daughter later, because mm-hmm. I love to update the families on those experiences. The daughter clear across the country, you know, mother is here. Um, but being able to share those updates and experiences and provide it such meaning. She was like, you know, I was just talking to my sister about this. I can't believe that, you know, that she said this, you know, but it provided such closure, um, meaning and connection. So I knew, okay, this is, this has purpose. This has purpose. When others yep. may think, um, oh, you know, this society has, has labeled, um, you know, this person is this or, or that one is that. There's meaning and there's hope and there's purpose when we can connect with people where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's the power, I believe, too, of chaplaincy. It is very powerful. And uh, earlier on, we, you also spoke about the power of presence. And I remember many years ago visiting this uh, patient in the nursing home. Uh, she was nonverbal. I just sat next to her and just held her hand and played some music after some time. As I was getting up, she held my hand back tight. So in a sense, indicating she was appreciating that presence. Even if she was not able to talk, uh, she was appreciating me being there. So really, there are many layers to the gift of presence, the gift that hospice chaplains bring to the table, which is really powerful. Yes. And I can think of another um, particular situation um 
journeying with another patient. And um, this particular patient was familiar, her one of her native languages, native languages um, is French. And so having a little experience <laughs> from courses <laughs> in French, I wouldn't say, you know, of course, fluent, but I was able to say some things to her um, in her native language, mm -hmm. but also um, bring up for her pictures of landmarks from France and pictures of beautiful bridges and um, just historical places and mm -hmm. rivers. And she said, you know, that's one of my favorite rivers over in France. Mm. And this is a patient that is not usually verbal. Um, this particular patient also had, um, has, um, you know, um, had Alzheimer's and uh, we didn't know she could talk. We had no idea that she could read. And mm. so that's another gift, I guess, connection with teaching is that I was able to show her certain things and um, pull, bring those things out of her where she connected. And it was such a beautiful connection and it provided such meaning for her. Um, whereas normally she would not talk, would not say anything, but those pictures and just going back to those experiences for her that were valuable during childhood and vivid places of connection for her during her upbringing, just moved something in her to that place of, um, vocalization, you know, and so those places, those powers, those things that we discover in our care, um, that bring things out of people that we had no idea um, that could come for. And so again, I think that's the power of chaplaincy, um, the power presence, you know. I had a I had an occasion where I have a therapy dog that I would take to facilities. And I walked into the, uh, the uh, dementia unit and walking up and down the hallways. And of course, everybody was going nuts over my dog. He was a huge white and gray old English sheepdog. Uh, and he'd walk up down there, and all the people would come running out to pet him and all that. There was this one particular lady who came and actually got on the floor with him, petting him, talking to him lovingly. Oh, you were such a beautiful boy. You were so nice, blah, blah, blah. And I have the aide looking at me with her eyes like saucers. <laughs> she doesn't talk. She's never talked. Mm. And there she is on the floor with my dog talking to him. And I'm like, we don't know what's out there with folks in this situation. Uh, and that's why we have to go in, like you say, as a presence and find out what it is and just see what it takes. And we can, we can make some pretty big uh, changes and inroads in some of these people's lives. Yes. With that, we'll take a little break. Let me introduce again our guest is Sharonda Lynn Dupree. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sol Bam, and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Sharonda Lynn Dupree. I'm looking at your book called Spaces and Reflection. What was the motivation for it? And it looks like a journal for writing. 
What was the motivation for that? Yes. So it was the beginning of the pandemic. During that time, you know, I had more time at home, you know, <laughs> um, being able to work from home during that time while we were sorting out um, how visits would be done and exactly what we would do um, going forth with our interactions with patients and family. So during that time, I had a little time on my hands. So I said, well, let me kind of get back into the art of self-publishing. I first self-published um, one of my first books when I was 26. I'm 40 now. <laughs> so when I was 26, oh, mm. um, I published a book of poetry um, called Deliverance Through Poetry. Deliverance Through Poetry. And um, it was a, a poetry book that spoke to me, um, I believe, in experiences of and the power that poetry can bring. And so wanting to get back to that place um, of, of self-publishing, but also at a place of, okay, this is the pandemic. What can be a powerful tool um, for others during this time? Mm. And so there came spaces and reflections. And I would say less than a month, probably a couple of weeks, you know, I like to say, write the vision, make it plain and <laughs> give, it the, <laughs> give it that power to yes. speak. And so here came this journal. And I know I wanted to have a journal um, for um, to be able to use in the care that I bring every day um, as a chaplain and also bereavement coordinator. What can I provide to patients, um, to the staff, but also for myself during this time of of um, of uh, stress, the <laughs> time of yeah. stress, the time yeah. of the unknown. And so journaling, I believe, is very beneficial. It's a great tool for self-care. Um, it has its great benefits for anxiety. It can be relaxing. It can help to enhance clarity. Um, it's a place to release negative thoughts. Um, it has so many different ways of use, um, but it can also be a place to track progress on goals, um, dreams, and visions. And ultimately, it's, it's a great tool for boosting health, you know, long-term health, because we're talking about mental health, right? Yeah. Mental and, 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 you know, spiritual health. But I believe that journaling is a place to ju do just that. And so here came Spaces and Reflections, a journal for writing. And I intentionally designed this book. You know, I'm a teacher. I can give guidelines of, okay, this is this should go here. Maybe you should do this. I didn't want it to be one of those journals of me telling someone what to write. And so this journal is very open. It leaves open spaces for reflection. And it's just that. And it has a few quotes throughout the work. That's awesome. How can our guests find you and find your work? On my website at www.chaplainlifebooks.com hmm. um, www.chaplainlifebooks.com Sharonda Lynn, thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Mm -hmm. That was Chaplain Sharonda Lynn Dupree. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studio in Joliet, Illinois.
Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com. 